I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. This week, FEMA is releasing the fourth edition of the National Response Framework, the NRF, an important update that incorporates lessons learned from the unprecedented recent hurricane and wildfire seasons, as well as stakeholder input from a diverse cross-section of government and non-governmental partners. On this agency update, we check in with Jeff Byard, the Associate Administrator for Response and Recovery, and Jeremy Greenberg from FEMA's Response Directorate about why this recent update better reflects important relationships in emergency response, as well as the new community lifeline construct. All right, so the National Response Framework is being released uh, in its fourth edition, and we have Jeff Byard, the Associate Administrator for Response and Recovery. Jeff, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And Jeremy Greenberg, Deputy Director of the Response Operations Division. Jeremy, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me here. Actually, I should say thanks to both of you because you've both appeared on the podcast once before, and uh, I appreciate you being willing to talk about this, uh, this update. So, Jeff, why was it necessary to take a look at the National Response Framework um, and, and release an update? Yeah, that's a great question, and it goes back to the 2017 hurricane season. We did an extensive after-action report, and one of those uh, measures was a revision of the National Response Framework. And to, you know, uh, what I learned from that, that was FEMA. It was our first time for requesting a revision. Normally, in the previous revisions, it's been requested by the National Security Council staff. Uh, This is one where FEMA, we looked at ourselves, we looked at our partners, and Uh, you know, started that process with our administrator at the time, Brock Long, uh, continued with our acting administrator, Pete Gaynor, and then went all the way up to the secretary and then uh, to the National Security Council staff to to get uh, actually, uh, you know, the green light, if you will, to go ahead with the revision. And then it started from there. Yeah. I mean, the process that... um the process that goes into actually updating a national document like this, something that is intended for the entire nation to be to be using, um, it, it's got to be pretty arduous, I'm thinking. So can you walk me through what that process was for updating? Yeah, I'll start it. I'm going to let Jeremy talk a little bit more in depth. But, you know, my background in emergency management is at the state level. And uh, it was, uh, you know, a funny story. When I first started with FEMA, uh, I called uh, one of my counterparts that, that uh, worked with me at the state and, and said, hey, you know, we've got a whole doctrine shop, you know, and a doctrine shop at Alabama Emergency Management was me and a couple other people to change whatever doctrine we needed to change. So, you know, understanding that there is a national process when you change a document of this magnitude, and um, and it's a well-oiled process, but it is uh, pretty pretty comprehensive, and it starts with the National Security Council staff uh, who really uh, guides that that process, but you have to get buy-in internally, uh, and it really challenges you as, as an emergency manager. You know, our foundation of emergency management is partnerships and relationships, so um, you've got to grow those, and you've got to really uh, know your craft uh, and, and understand what you're trying to change and, be, and have good clarity in, in that change. But, Jeremy, if you want to add to the actual process of how that goes, I'd be happy to turn it over to you. Thanks. I think the, the key issue, as Jeff was just talking about, was, was buy-in uh, at the state, local level, and public and private partnerships. You know, one of the key issues in the NRF revision is integration of the private sector, uh, the creation of ESF-14, a, a new ESF. So before we made any drastic change, we wanted to make sure that we had the buy-in uh, from our partners. So we go out 
uh, through a public engagement strategy, uh, starting first with the emergency support function leadership group, so a headquarters-based uh, representation of departments and agencies at the national level, and talked about the problems we were trying to fix. This was not a revamp of the NRF. This was not rewriting the you know the old national response plan. This was just tweaking some key issues uh, that we wanted to hit. Uh, so when we brought people in, they they had that sense of uh, being able to speak to what their issues were, and we incorporated that. And then throughout the national engagement period, it's not just posting something on a website and asking people to comment, it's actually going out to state and local emergency management agencies during operations and steady state, uh, seeing how the tools that we've created are, are being utilized and maybe where some of those gaps are and we could fill those gaps. Brought the comments back. We have an amazing policy team uh, here at headquarters and out in the regions uh, who did a lot of the writing. But the big challenge for us is not overcomplicating it. Sometimes when we get a, a document into DC, we like to add a lot of words to it, make it longer because we want to cover all the contingencies we can think of. So uh, the balance of, of the writing team was making sure that we carried out the boss's intent uh, combined with the feedback that we got from state and local partners, but didn't overcomplicate the document. And then I think that's what our, our partners will see. And that's why we've been uh, pretty pleased with the feedback we've gotten so far. Um, you know, before we get into what it's what's specifically in the new edition, you know, I'm wondering if you guys can take me back to the national response framework itself and how it was originated, um, because it's a it's a framework. It's not a plan. It's not a national response plan, which I think maybe the public would expect we would have. So what is the impetus for having a framework versus a plan? So, you know, from my perspective, and I'll let Jeremy add, uh, you know, where he, he feels like he needs to, you know, having that framework gives you some flexibility as a, at the state and local level to develop an actual plan that fits your needs, your communities, uh, and so forth. But the framework is a guiding tool. That's really what it is. It gives you um, parameters. It gives you an understanding of what uh, the different levels of government, the different nonprofits, those partners that make up the framework, make up the emergency support function community, you know, what they're going to bring to the table uh, in, in the event of a, uh, of a response that uh, exceeds the capabilities at the local level, then at the state level, and then it brings in the, the federal uh, piece of that. So uh, having been uh, a part uh, of emergency management when we did have the national um, uh, the, the plan and then transitioning in 2008 to the framework, I, you know, I, I think the framework is, is a good tool to use uh, at all levels of government. But Jeremy, anything you want to add to that? Two quick key points. Uh, first, the, the framework is always in play, right? When we had a plan, people would say, hey, are we following the national response plan for this incident? Yes or no. The framework is always there. So whether there's a Stafford Act incident or not, uh, the, the response at the federal, state, and local level follows the parameters of, of the framework. The second part is, you know, people say, well, if it's just a framework, where's the plan, right? Does FEMA have a plan? Does the interagency have a plan? The answer is yes. So underneath the National Response Framework, there's the Federal Interagency Operations Plan and then supporting annexes uh, that can be used that are, are specific to some scenarios, some geographic areas. So it was uh, less prescriptive when we wrote a framework to be able to say this is the guidelines that we wanted to create a standard amongst 56 states and territories. And then we have the, the subsequent plans that we follow when we have a particular incident. So if you could describe some of the sort of the overarching tenets of the framework, what would they be? So, you know, I'll start with that one, Morgan. I think that it's, uh, you know, it's a tiered response. Uh, you know, that's the first and foremost that, you know, all incidents begin and end at the local level. Uh, and, you know, having worked at the state level for a long time and, and interacted with uh, some of the best local emergency managers in the nation, uh, you know, they're quick to tell you that, that, you know, you're here to support us. So having that tiered response and understanding that there is a, 
um, a method to the to the madness, so to speak. Uh, you know, a structure among chaos is is what the framework provides through the tiered response, through an understanding of who's responsible for what. I think that's very clear uh, to to an effective response uh, and, and overall emergency management program in general is understanding. You know, who has what. You know, what are the roles and responsibilities, and who to turn to uh, should that capability be ex- uh, you know uh, needed or, or uh, exceeded at the local level, and, and that that uh, comes into play with the emergency support functions that we have. So in this latest uh, revision of the National Response Framework, which uh, is now being released to the public, um, what are some of the key updates? So, you know, first and foremost, it's the uh, the emphasis on the um, stabilization of community lifelines, to rapid sta- rapidly stabilize those seven community lifelines that, uh, if impacted, uh, that, that constitutes an issue. And that really came out of 2017. But, you know, it's nothing new. Uh, Local and state emergency managers have been doing uh, a very similar analysis uh, since the beginning of emergency management. Uh, If if you look at the community lifelines in in a large community or small community, if there's an impact to that, that means something has gone different that day than normal business. Uh, If you're without power, if you're without the ability to provide food and water, if you're without... Um, you know, you name it, fuel and energy. Something in that community has to change that day to, to mitigate that, that issue. So, you know, putting a unity of effort, that's really what, uh, as, a, as, as a senior operator in 2017 um, it, at FEMA, and, and really from, from a national perspective for those response and recoveries and ongoing, I would leave the NRCC floor great individuals. It's the it's the best staff I've ever seen, you know, combined in the federal government. And we would work very, very hard, but we could never really measure progress. We could not see what was our efforts, what are we what are we really accomplishing this day. Um, we did not have that national unity of effort. We could not explain to and, and, and brief out to the senior people of our government, you know, we did this today and, we, and we're focused on, on this tomorrow. So providing a framework, if you will, of what is our unity of effort when definitely when FEMA gets involved all the way to the state and local level, centered on stabilization of those um, community lifelines. And I really believe uh, that emergency management's function as a discipline, is to stabilize lifelines. We have a little bit in response. We definitely have a little bit in recovery. You know, and as a discipline, we've always uh, had issues of, uh, or struggle with what is our identity. And my take, our identity is to um, provide frameworks to stabilize community lifelines using all means, using government, using uh, the other big update is the, as, as Jeremy alluded to, the um, creation of emergency support function 14, which is uh, cross-sector infrastructure and business. You know, bringing in uh, the private sector, which has uh, just an uh, you know infinite capability to stabilize lifelines, I think is a is a huge term for emergency management. Um, so basically, two major uh, updates: the mm-hmm. in- introduction of ESF fourteen, emergency support function fourteen, which is a, a relook at how we engage with the private sector, and then also the community lifelines. So let's talk a little bit more about those community lifelines and, and the concept of it. You know, from your perspective as a senior leader, you know, what's transformative about the construct itself? Mm-hmm. So it gives us a uh, first and foremost. You know, when you look at emergency management, we have you know just basic functions. First and foremost, you've got to gain and maintain situational awareness. Uh, everything's a problem, right, in, in a disaster. Everything's a problem, and there's information uh, uh, 
going everywhere, you know. So managing that flow of information and then being able to take that information and focus on what I call take it information and turn it into intelligence, actionable intelligence. The framework of the community lifelines allows us to do that. Um, and how that, that happens is uh, you've got seven basic lifelines. If there's an impact to that, um, we know there's an issue, and therefore um, we can work with our state and local partners and guide resources and focus resources to uh, if, a, if a lifeline is, is red, meaning it's totally not there or there's no capability there, how are we going to get that to yellow? Um, I really think that having um, that quick look at situational awareness where when, you know, and everything was do it, done and created by good people wanting to do good work, uh, but when I when I stepped in and having to brief the administrator on our current reporting structure, it was very difficult to pull out what was really important, what was not, and, and where do we need to focus on. So uh, with the tier one concept that, that the team developed and the states have adopted, uh, I can quickly look at no matter what size the disaster, no matter what the geographical area of the disaster is, and, and quickly determine where our focus needs to be. So gaining and maintaining that situational awareness, the community lifelines allows us to do that. The second is uh, action. You know, emergency management's about action. So, you know, if we have a, a, an issue that, that uh, based on that situational awareness, we then can develop the appropriate action. Do we need to activate the NRCC? What is the posture of our regions? What's the posture of our states based on that impact? Uh, and then second is establish, or third is establishing our geographical footprint. You know, we're going to get in, involved uh, if, it's, if it's of that magnitude. Um, how this is used, going back to the tiered approach, Mark, is, you know, FEMA may not be getting involved, this, but the states are at this point. So they're, they're doing the same thing. They're getting their liaisons or their, their field structure engaged at, at the county and at the city level. Um, to, doesn't matter the size. So, and then the fourth is we're going to deliver aid to the American people. In order to do that, in order to effectively do that, these lifelines have to be stable. One of the things we learned in 2017 um, is that you cannot go to recovery if the, if the lifelines are not stable. If you don't have stable power, if you're not safe and secure, if, you don't, if, if there's hazardous waste in your community that's not been mitigated, you know, there's no point in us looking at project worksheets to restore infrastructure or, you know, what's our housing uh, plan going to be. So we have to focus first on stabilization of the community lifelines. And then that's really our trigger to know once that's stable, we can now focus on the longer, medium, uh, excuse me, short, medium and longer term recovery uh, initiatives or, or goals. To sort of implement that concept, we've released a toolkit for emergency managers, right? So can you walk me through that process of, uh, you know, sort of creating the toolkit and then releasing it? And then um, I think we're also looking at a, a revision to that even, right? Yeah, Mark, that's correct. So uh, in January of this year, February of this year, released the toolkit 1.0. And the, the reason we did that was people were starting to embrace the lifelines. As Jeff was talking about, we saw uh, adaptation or uh, adoption at the local level, uh, and people were adapting as well, taking the icons, changing the colors, uh, making you know different graphics. So we want to have a standard. Uh, as Jeff was just talking about understanding priorities, you have to understand comparison as well. So if we have a multi-state, multi-region incident, we want everyone reporting that same way. So we created the, the toolkit 1.0, 
And it was one a first blush of what what community lifelines were. So a primer on it, if if you weren't familiar with it, what it what it wasn't, uh, re, you know, how it related to emergency support functions, how it relates to core capabilities. So it's sort of the academic side of it. And then we created uh, some planning products uh, in there. So how do you tie community lifelines into your existing plans? We talked about the FIOP or some state and local plans, and then a, uh, a section all about templates and icons. And while that might sound parochial or somewhat bureaucratic, uh, we wanted people to use the 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 same versions, whether it was a senior leadership brief about how it was laid out, uh, whether you were using the food, water, shelter icons and the colors you were using around them. Because uh, as, as Jeff was talking about, if it's a snapshot and you're using uh, different iconology or different colors or different schemes, different terms, it's not as helpful as it could be. So. That went out, uh, and then, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we spent a lot of time out in the field uh, with our own incident management teams, our regional partners, and then state and locals, asking about how it was being utilized. You know, was this a, a useful document to the emergency manager who works out of the back of their suburban, you know, at, a, at an incident? Conversely, someone who's in a, maybe a state emergency operations center or a private sector partner, and then in the, in the regional response coordination centers and the national response coordination center, took that feedback, and that's what informed uh, the stabilization guide, so doctrine and policy behind uh, what we're doing. And uh, along with the NRF release, we're going to release the Toolkit 2.0. Uh, and that'll have in it the updated uh, terms of art, the terms of reference, uh, the updated icons. We partnered with the GIS community to ask, uh, hey, where are icons currently being used? What do they look like? There are certain symbols that are universal no matter where in the world you are. So how could we adopt those and make them more user-friendly? Because part of the reason we pushed the, the Lifeline Initiative is ease of communication. So if we're using easily understandable, easily digestible pictures and icons, that makes our job a little bit easier. So all of that will be incorporated in, in the in the toolkit. But one thing that's critical, and we're going to put this out to everybody, is that this is a progressive process, right? We will hope for toolkit 3.0 and 4.0. As we move through each hurricane season, we have more lessons that we've learned. As we have earthquakes and wildfires, we pick up on different things. Uh, CONUS response versus ZOCONUS. You know, we, we are using this more and more real world and in exercises to, to embrace the lessons that we've learned. So when people see Toolkit 2.0, don't say, oh man, I just wrote all of my plans related to 1.0 and I got to go rewrite them. This is a progression in emergency management as we mature our process. Jeff, you know, from your perspective and, and really FEMA's perspective, what's uh, the most important thing for emergency management practitioners at all levels to understand about the, this latest edition of the National Response Framework? You know, I, I go back to the tiered approach. And what I want our states and locals to know is that when FEMA, you know, when we come in, and, and I think it's important to understand, you know, how FEMA gets in. And, and I know uh, the, the audience may know that, but you know, something has happened in, in you pick the state. Uh, that governor of, of that state has, has called the president, I'm saying it in very general terms here, notified the president that whatever that incident is, is has overwhelmed that state and, and he or she needs help. The president has looked at that, uh, that ask and said, you know what, you do need help. I'm going to send in FEMA. I want uh, our partners to know that when FEMA comes in, our national unity of effort is to stabilize whatever lifelines of those seven lifelines are disrupted. Uh, and we're going to bring the full weight of the federal government, uh, our partners, not just FEMA, but our, our emergency support partners, um, our interagency partners with Department of Defense, whatever's necessary to, to uh, help stabilize those lifelines. But more importantly, um, with the ESF-14, we have now created an avenue, a true avenue for our private sector partners to engage with government, 
and our government partners to, to also engage back to the private sector. Uh, and speaking in terms of lifelines, one of the uh, you know first briefs that I gave in this position uh, was to some senior members of our government. It was about a 10-minute brief, and I spent seven minutes of that explaining what an emergency support function is. And I knew then that, you know, to 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 be effective in our in our discipline, we cannot expect uh, those that don't do it every day to learn our language. Um, it's a very complicated uh, language. We have to speak in English, you know, and we have to speak in terms that understand power, not necessarily ESF 12, you know. Um, you know, terms that, that the American public understands. We're going to get your power back on, not we're engaged with ESF-12. We know that. That's behind the curtain. Outward facing, we've got to speak in those terms. So understanding that when uh, FEMA does come in, you know, what our, what our effort's going to be, and then using that, not just in an incident, we need to redesign and, and focus our exercises on stabilization of lifelines. We need to focus our grant programs on how do we harden and stabilize the lifelines. Because if we can keep the power on, if we can keep these lifelines up and running, and no matter what the, the incident is, 90% of our, our, our job is, is taken care of. Um, and I think that's the, the overall goal is, is to uh, not just utilize the lifelines in response, but utilize the lifeline concept to make our nation more resilient to whatever the uh, the threat may be. Um, so that's a big takeaway that I would ask uh, is that that we understand uh, it's not a, you know, I've been asked many questions, Mark, you know, what is this going to do to the incident action planning process? Actually, it's going to enhance it because we can put true objectives, uh, not just, uh, you know, going through a paperwork drill to build an incident action plan. But, you know, if, if a lifeline is red or yellow, let's build an objective to get it to, to yellow or green, you know, let's do that collectively. Um, it creates uh, dialogue between a federal coordinating officer and a state coordinating officer um, because they have to talk about what, what is the status of, of these seven lifelines. Um, it's not just metric-driven, uh, you know, process. It's an actual conversation that has to be had, and I believe in that. I believe that that's the key is you have to have that face-to-face conversation. So um, the big takeaway uh, is, 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 again, it goes back to the, the, the four tenets. You know, it's an, it allows us to gain and maintain situational awareness on a common framework, common set of, uh, uh, of areas that the lifelines. It, it allows us to um, prioritize where that need may be so that when we do action, it allows us to, at all levels, to understand what our footprint needs to be, where we need to focus uh, our human resources, uh, our best assets. And then it allows us to better deliver aid to the American people. And I think that that's what emergency management is all about. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast. <laughs>